Let your mind reflect on that reality. He is worthy. Lord, we just recognize in this moment that you are worthy. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our, uh, of our singing to and, uh, and celebrating. You're worthy of our worship. You are worthy of all praise. You are exalted in the heavens. You're the one who made it all. And yet you love each one of us. Grace is big enough for each one of us. Forgiveness abounds for each one of us. Your welcome extends to each one of us. And so God, we, we just, we take joy in that today. We take joy in who you are. We take joy that you are on your throne and you are here with us in this place. And we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Well, you can grab a seat. Why don't you grab a seat? Great to celebrate that with you this morning. We are, if you are, if you're new here, just join us for the first time. We've been, every week we kind of look at different things. We come around uh, and see, you know, what the scriptures have to say to us. And we come around different things that we're learning about. And we're in a series right now like that. And it's called Fearless. And we've been really trying to understand fear and what it looks like to live a more fearless life. We all experience fear, but how do we move past that? What's the Bible have to say about what, what, what does it look like to move past that? And so today, uh, how many of you have been enjoying the series? You've been enjoying it? Give me a, a shout and a clap if you've been enjoying it. You know, it's, um, and I gotta tell you today, I, I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready to really kind of lean in and take something away today because we have with us today, Rochelle Masters and Rochelle, is uh, she leads Masters and Co. Psychology. Uh, they meet actually here, and, and you can even, you know, make use of their services. They meet right here uh, in, in the green room back here. They run a service out of there during the week. But uh, Rochelle is really special to have today for a few reasons. One, uh, she's been part of the church family here at True North forever. And so this is part of our, our family getting to come and share with us, which is exciting. But the second part of it as well, as soon as I even thought about doing a series called Fearless, I wanted to have... Uh, everyone have the chance to hear from Rochelle because I don't know if there's anybody in our city doing more on a daily basis throughout the week to help people break free from fear through the work she's doing at Masters & Co. And so we celebrate that and are excited. And I wanna tell you, get ready because you are going to, if you have ever, and everyone has battled fear. And if you, today is a day, you're gonna be able to take some great things away with you. Can we welcome Rochelle on up? Give her a big clap as she comes on up to share. Hi everyone, thanks for having me. I feel at home. I've had coffee and I've had food. I should come up this way more often. So I'm a true North girl, but I, I attend the, the Mullaloo campus. And I haven't been up here for a little while, so it's lovely to see lots of new faces and so on. And do you know what? This subject, fear, fearlessness, is one of my favorite topics. That's a bit of a strange thing to say, isn't it? But you know, I, I can sort of be myself here if I'm among family, so that's what I'm going to talk about today. And um, I wanted to, st to start with, share with you a little bit about what I do in terms of my everyday. So I'm a clinical psychologist and um, I specialise in anxiety disorders. So on the daily, that's what I'm, I'm doing. 
And you know, when you become a clinical psychologist, the way that you do that is that you study for eight years, predominantly the brain and the nervous system. It's really dry learning, to be honest. And you know what? Um, yeah, that's what, that's what I did. And in that, I wrote two dissertations on fear, the nature of fear and anxiety, developed a tool to be able to measure how anxiety impacts our relationships, and so on and so forth. I'm super nerdy behind the scenes. And so, you know what, I've spent a long time understanding sort of the biology and psychology of fear. And what makes me laugh really about that process is that, you know, you spend really your first five years studying the theory. And then in the sixth year, they let you loose on your friends and family to practice. And then in your seventh and eighth year, the final two years, you're exposed to the nature of humanity before you get a specialist title. So it is quite a ride. And um, today I want to share with you a few insights about what I've learned about the nature of fear. So there's going to be a little bit of biology. I've got the microphone, so I'm going to inflict that upon you. But then also what I've come to discover about how hope found in Christ intersects with observable science. And so, you know, when it comes to fighting fear, facing fear, and living out a fearless faith, which is, you know, really what this series has been all about. So, before I go any further about that, I want to just look at the text. I want to bring the text up that we're going to actually get to today at some point. Philippians 4 verse 9, and I'm going to read it out to you. And um, I love this scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Wow, what a scripture. You know what, every now and then people bring that scripture into the therapy room with deep anguish. <laughs> Do not be anxious, and yet I'm anxious. And so you know what, before I get into the text today and flesh that out, I want to I set a bit of a scene for you. I want to read to you out of a, a blog that I wrote recently. Okay, here we go. At university, they taught me about the brain and nervous system. But what I have come to learn about the real and felt impact of fear, anxiety, worry, shyness, 
in our community for individuals is quite difficult to convey. In 2014, I hired a single room for use as a solo practitioner. Armed with my knowledge about the brain and the nervous system, I spent my last $1,200 on the credit card to go to Ikea and I purchased two couches, a tissue box, a clock, and a couple of calming pictures for the wall. And I was ready to go. It was a small and seemingly insignificant space. And I wondered if I could take a small offering and see it multiply to meaningful solution. I did not have any demonstrated financial or business or management acumen, nor did I understand how to navigate prudent commercial risk management or legal policy or procedure. And to be honest, I really, I didn't think I'd need it because I was planning on just working 10 hours a week and I would then, um, I've got three sons and I would raise my family and I would volunteer at my local church. So that's what I was planning to do. Within three months of opening that first room, several hundred GPs started referring to that room and within 18 months, just under 10,000 occasions of service had taken place. This type of demand for services has only grown since. And I had to quickly learn to develop team and structures and support for the overwhelming need. I will never forget the early days of that room and the room next door and then the room next door and then the room next door where people would literally line up in the dark, in the rain, after work, before work. Usually because my waiting room space was full or not big enough. So today, five years on, there are three clinics, and in this past week, there was just under 70 new referrals of people needing mental health care, adding to the several thousand that will be attended to by our teams in this coming year. Needless to say, church, family, while I have conversations about fear every single day, I have been on a fear and faith journey of my own. I have found that the Holy Spirit has a lot to say about what it is to be human. A lot to say about what it means to care for each other as the body of Christ. He has taught me what he wants me to do in all the things I wasn't expecting and has helped me exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that I could ask or imagine because that's the God that he is. If you have ever witnessed or experienced a mental health challenge, you will know mental illness as a tyrannical oppressor. Fear has a way of pervading the brain and the nervous system like no other. Also, distancing people from 
they're spiritual anchors. Yes, anxiety is somewhat of an epidemic. You know, we're all entitled to 10 sessions in a calendar year with a psychologist or a clinical psychologist um, for mental health challenges such as anxiety. It's considered a medical condition. Yet of the 9.6 million mental health care plans that were written up last year by GPs, only 30% of people will ever use them. We're afraid to be afraid. 15% of people suffer with anxiety disorders significant enough to require specialist treatment as it is the third top burden of disease after cancer, cancer and cardiovascular problems. So church, if ever there was a time to rise up as a place of renewal in our spirit, with revival in our spirit, and a fearless faith, now is the time. Now is the time. Why don't you just nudge the person alongside you and say, now is the time. Now is the time. Okay. So now's the time for some biology. Are you ready? Not too much, just a little. Each side of your brain here and here are a cluster of little cells no bigger than an almond, and they are installed as your threat detection system. They are your inbuilt alarm system, and you are meant to have an alarm system, an anxiety alarm system, if you like. Um, it keeps you alive, and if you're human, you need it to survive. It's the threat detection. It helps you know when to fight, when to flight, or when to freeze. And you know what? It's very effective at keeping us all safe. However, sometimes that inbuilt alarm system activates when it doesn't need to. And so we, we think of it a bit like a false alarm. And so this false alarm can activate, it's very inconvenient. And it's usually, in 70% of cases, it activates on its own for biological reasons. So what I mean by that is when someone comes into the clinic and their, activation, their, their nervous system or their alarm system is activating and it doesn't really need to, anxiety we call that, it's usually because of some biological reason. And I'm not going to get into them all today. However, what I will say is that... Uh, number one thing that we do is to work out how to sort of bring the biology back to its created order. And let me just share with you what that looks like. For some of us, when that false alarm is going off, it'll, it'll literally look like or have the features of, let's say, panic. So literally, your whole body can have the sweats and the shakes and the breathing goes funny, and that might be the features of your wonky alarm system. But then for others, it's not that at all. It might just be that you have this mechanism, it's a problem-solving mechanism that we call worry, that activates. And so particularly at night time, 
or first thing in the morning, you'll have this mechanism that clicks over and you start to worry. And then you worry about worry and then it's a bit of a mess. It's the brain's way of problem solving and it's, again, it's got some good points but it's not meant to be overactive. That might be the features of your alarm system, false alarm system. For others, it's not that at all. It can be things like eating disorders, hair pulling. You can have this awful detachment type of experience, etc., etc. I could probably go on. OCD, you know, when you have like thoughts that come in of harm and then things that you have to do to negate that harm. You know, there's all sorts of expressions or manifestations, if you like, of this alarm system gone awry. And then for some of us, there's special features to this alarm system. I sound like a sales lady, don't I? They bundle together. So you can have panic and worry or hair pulling and habits. You know, there's this, it can be quite a difficult undertaking to bring that biology back to its created order. And so that's probably all I'll say about the biology of, of fear. You know, it can be complicated, but it can actually be readily looked at in the appropriate environments. So then there's the psychology of fear. So that is a little bit different. The psychological aspects, they don't keep, they don't cause the alarm system to false alarm in the first place. They more keep the alarm going when it shouldn't be firing. So these psychological factors, for example, can be things like problem thinking patterns. So you know what, um, when I was in school, they didn't teach me how to think properly. You know, this wasn't something that we kind of covered in the curriculum. How to take our thought life and actually be able to analyse our thought life and reframe our thought life so that we're using our thought life properly. They're thinking of bringing it into the year 11 and 12 curriculum currently. And I think it's a great idea. Learning how to manage our thought life. So, you know, if you've got wonky thoughts, that, that, that can keep your alarm system going. You know, other things include not being able to manage stress properly. You know, having the inability to slow down. Learning anxious behaviours from others. Inadequate lifestyle routines. You know, where we just, we're not exercising and we're not watching our nutrition and we're not sleeping well and, you know, our lifestyle routines out of whack. That can keep your alarm system going. Um, not switching off from our data inputs, you know, technology that has a, has a huge effect on our brain and our nervous system. Not having learned to problem solve properly, etc., etc. Avoidance, you know, Pastor Phil, back at the Malalu campus, told us this hilarious story about how he was riding to work until the magpies started to swoop and then he's no longer riding to work and we were just teasing him all week long about the magpies. That's a classic avoidance strategy. And you know what? Every day I'm having conversations with what people fear and their thoughts. People fear less. People fear loss. People fear mess. We don't like to be out of control. People feel, fear the nevers of life. And there's so much more I could, I could say about that. But really, if someone has anxiety that is causing them significant distress, there is good treatment available. When assessed, 
in the appropriate medical setting by the appropriate uh, people, medical professionals. And what we do is we work out what your alarm system is doing and then we provide the Medicare level one, two or three treatment protocols to that. So whatever your alarm system is doing, someone needs to work it out and then offer level one, two or three Medicare endorsed, scientifically based treatment protocols for that to help you get your biology and psychology back in line. But now let me bring Philippians 4 back into the picture because what I love about this scripture is that it lines up with observable science. Or we might say that what we have discovered in observable science lines up with what is outlined in this scripture. And so what I want to do is I want to quickly go through some of those things with you. I'm I asked the guys to bold certain words on here, and I'm not sure if you can see it, but I'm going to highlight it for you. So the first one is rejoice. This word means joyous relief. One of the key strategies in managing anxiety when your false alarm has activated is to find the things that bring your nervous system a sense of stability, grounding, and joy is an evidenced intervention. Amazing. I'm going to move on to the next one. The Lord is near. This phrase, the Lord is near, is key, and it's almost like the precondition to the command to not be anxious. One of the things we know about a false alarm is that it can be readily activated by something we call in psychology proximity. So if you have an anxiety issue, and we actually know that while your false alarm is active, the things that literally lie within your peripheral sphere can actually flare or downregulate your nervous system. You can literally feel, when you're suffering with anxiety in a biological sense, you can literally feel quite detached from the things around you that are within reach, that make you feel stable and secure. It's a dreadful sensation. It's actually part of the symptoms of anxiety. But to posture your heart and mind with the spiritual formation that the Lord is within reach and near to those who call upon his name is also evidenced in science. The idea of the Lord being near and linking that to prayer activates a region of the brain that can assist with the deactivation of your nervous system. I love that this is backed up in scripture here, the Lord is near. It's also a beautiful scripture in Psalm 145, I love, that says, the Lord is near to those who call on him. He hears their cry and saves them. What a beautiful promise from the Psalms. So let me just go on to talk about the next thing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Prayer. What we know from observable science, it's some beautiful research that, that has been replicated a number of times, is they had participants um, sort of 
nodes on their, their heads and scanned under an fMRI. And they had them pray and meditate to a compassionate God versus praying and meditating to a neutral God versus praying and meditating to a punishing God. And they looked at the activity of the brain. And what has been discovered in observable science is that when people pray to a compassionate God, that actually there's a region of the brain, the hypothalamus, that actually helps deactivate this false alarm system, regulates the activity of the brain. And we, when people pray to a punishing God or to a neutral God, it does not have the same effects in terms of the brain and nervous system. Petition, prayer and petition. We can address God directly as a compassionate God who knows your history with all its ups and downs, even the parts you didn't choose. And he understands what it means to be human. He understands your need for safety, well-being, respect in every sense. So also with thanksgiving. Practicing gratitude, again, more, is a skill that assists in reframing the thoughts that inevitably come with fear. What we know from science is there's two main problem thoughts that come with anxiety and fear, and we call them two key exaggerations. So exaggeration number one is that we imagine how likely it will be, we exaggerate how likely it will be that something bad happens. And exaggeration number two is that we exaggerate how terrible and dreadful and awful it will be if those bad things happen. And so what we know about thanksgiving and or practicing gratitude is that gratitudes assist you in finding evidence against those exaggerated thoughts. And that is an evidenced outcome. That's not just me like tickling your ears this morning and telling you what I think is important. This is what the research says as we study it in science. How amazing is that? All right, what about this next one? I like this too. It says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard your heart and mind is very key statement in this passage because if you suffer with anxiety, the nervous system activates, that false alarm activates, typically because the, the thought is, or the threat is, that something somewhere needs protection. Fear, someone told me an acronym for this a couple of weeks ago, fear is the false evidence appearing real. And when we were able to deactivate that alarm system by stabilising our biology and reframing our psychology with Christ as the anchor, we are receiving his guardianship over our lives and over our well-being. Our guardian, guardianship. It's wonderful. Okay, what about this next one? Next slide is whatever is lovely, noble, 
pure, etc. Think. Think of these things. Think about such things. You know, one of the key interventions in science is actually learning to manage your thought life. I touched on that earlier. And um, that little component added to this scripture doesn't surprise me because it really just outlines step by step by step the types of thoughts we're meant to be entertaining or reframing, let's say. Learning one of the key treatments to managing anxiety is learning to manage your thought life. All right, and this next part here, look at this. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, wow, put into practice. So let me just talk about this learned, received, heard part. I love this because actually a secure attachment to the Lord, specifically the love of God experienced in Jesus, leads to a greater peace and therefore courage. Our relationship with the Lord becomes experiential. It becomes learned. It becomes tangible. It becomes layered. And then we put it into practice. So this putting into practice, what what God requires of us, I need you to know that he provides for us in the work of Christ. So any do that's found in Scripture in the new covenant, is always based on a done in Christ, in the work of Christ. Does that make sense? We can rest in the done work of the gospel, specifically the love of Christ, as the motivational power to do the not being anxious bit. So what I might do is I might just invite the band to come back up and... um, as we move on to the next portion of our our service. But church, I want you to know that on a personal note, I'm I'm just a mum and a wife, a, a Perth girl, seeking to live out my faith with expression, just like the Holy Spirit has led me to. When I come to my church family and sit beside you all, I'm encouraged by your passionate pursuit of the presence of God. I'm encouraged by the baptisms this morning and the stories that go alongside and with them. When I come to my church home and there's people that know me or love me, buy me coffee. When we stand together devoted to his way of doing things because we need him, This is of great encouragement to me. I'm a human and you're a human. We're not expected to be non-human. And yet, you know, and sometimes I am uncertain about whether God is going to show up and help me work out what to do next. You know, one of our clinics we've grown out of, we've grown out of. I can't fit another person in. And I keep thinking to myself, I wonder what I'm meant to do next. Like they didn't teach us this at clinical psychology school. And so my fearless faith, joined with your fearless faith, is very important to me. Jesus understands what it means to be human. And while we don't always understand how to live out a fearless faith, perhaps, 
the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to rely on our own understanding, but we rest in his yes and amen. Yes and amen for our lives. So how about we pray together as we just close our service. Father God, I thank you that because of your great love for us, we can rest in the good news of the gospel. And that, Father God, that you are our anchor. I pray that we will rise up as a people of faith across our community, impacting those around us with the good news of the gospel and in the knowledge that you are near to those who call upon his name. Father God, I thank you that because of your great love for us, we have freedom in you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Amen.